Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. Brought to you by McDonald & Company. The Accelerating Careers in Real Estate podcast is now supported by the Urban Land Institute. To find out more about becoming a member, please follow the link in the show notes, remembering to quote the promo code ACRE to take advantage of all the benefits of our partnership. More details at the end of this podcast. So before we get started, I want to let the audience know I have started the LinkedIn group and you can now see the link in the notes. I hope you'll join me there after the episode and let me know your thoughts from this and every other episode. It's where I'm hopefully going to be uh, including more sneak peeks uh, and introducing our guests before our episode. So I hope you'll come along and join me. This evening, I'm sat with Galina Permakova, Director of Real Estate Development at Patrizia for the Netherlands, the ULI's Chair for their next committee across Europe and holder of five Masters. Now I talk about chapters and non-linear careers and Galina has moved across Europe and used education as a means to facilitate her transition from law to finance to real estate. So Galina, let's get started. Tell me how it all begins. Hi Nick, yeah, thank, thank you so much for inviting and it's a great pleasure to, to talk with you and to discuss about the career. Everybody has a different journey and my journey starts in France. It starts at the age of 13 when my parents uh, sent me um, to do studies at, in a college between uh, when I was 13 to 15. And that was really a great experience where I spent two years alone, uh, basically away from my parents, living in a, in a French family, learning French, learning different cultures and uh, understanding different perspectives uh, as helped me later in my in my career. So that's something that's. That's not necessarily your decision, I, I suppose. It's sort of at 13, 14, but that sounds like sort of really good foresight by, uh, by your parents. Yeah, that, that's true, Nick. Um, my parents you know, were involved in a foundation, charity foundation, to help children uh, who suffered from a Chernobyl disaster to, uh, to get different experiences and different and better life in, uh, in other countries. So my mom, who was a teacher of French language, she organized this charity program and we used to bring children to, to France. I was helping my, my mother in organizing those trips. And um, there we met a French family who proposed uh, a, an opportunity for me to come and live with them and stay in their family uh, for two years and uh, learn the language and also make, help their children to, to learn more about Ukraine. So that was um, a very, a very special, uh, special experience to be away from the parents, but also at the same time, kind of to find those parents or friends in a different, in a different country. It was also very uh, great to, to learn how you make friends and how you, uh, how you build your network in a new country. Well, I bet, and, I, and we'll see, won't we? But that's definitely sowed the seeds then for, for your sort of uh, European sort of travels during your career. So. Let's go back then to as you get a little older and sort of the the start of your education back in back in Ukraine, because it wasn't real estate you'd picked first, was it? No, no, that was not real estate, and I have to be honest, real estate was not at that point on on my radar. And secondly, real estate was also not the educational program or a master program that any of the universities in Ukraine would ever offer. So I really had ambition um, because of living in France and having this exposure to, uh, to different people. I, I, I realized that I wanted to have my career in working internationally. And then I remember I was sitting with my dad and saying, um, Dad, where do you think I, 
I, I could start. Do you think diplomatic education would be a, a good one or law? And then the choice was to do the legal a master, master in legal education and, a, and at the same time a master in foreign languages because I felt that both of those educational passes would help me to get into international arena. So did you, did you just say you studied two masters simultaneously? Yeah, yeah. And I have to say it's, um, uh, it's, it's, it's probably uh, when, when, I, when I took this challenge, I, I, thought, I thought it would be manageable as, everybody, as every young person would think. But um, it's been very challenging uh, during my, um, because you wanted still to enjoy student life. You still wanted to travel, but at the same time, you had to do two full master programs uh, at the same, uh, in parallel at the same time. For, I was fortunate that the both the master programs were at the same university. So I recall running between the lectures from one building into the, another. <laughs> I'm, I, uh, I'm not, you said you're fortunate to be in the, the same building. I think that's probably where, where sort of the fortune sort of ends. And it was obviously a lot, an awful lot of hard work, I suspect. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. It, it's been a lot of hard work. I mean, managing your time. I think it was also one of... It was a great experience for me to learn how do you how you manage your time and how you set up your priorities if you want to still have a normal private life and you also want to succeed and, and to have a good grade in your education, uh, but also writing the thesis. I think writing two theses uh, at the same time for my master degree in law and a, a master degree in, in French and English language that was quite 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 a challenge. I didn't think it was enough. During my education, uh, during my studies, I started to a trainee program at Environment People Law, which was a public legal consult- consultancy firm. So it was an extra adrenaline or accelerator to uh, to my education. So given given now the, your decision then to, to study both those dual masters, um, particularly then, as you mentioned, the favouring law, what do you think you were aspiring to be? Where, where did you think that was going to take you in your career? Uh, yes, I, w- I was hoping to, to become a lawyer, but really specialised in international practice and advising on financial, and, uh, on financial uh, matters. And uh, working with international businesses and clients, and therefore I saw that having ability to speak uh, the foreign language would enable me better to connect with... Uh, as well with people, as well as uh, be a better legal professional. So the aspiration was um, to work in a, uh, in a corporate finance team in a, uh, in, in a law firm at that point of time. So looking, looking back then, Kleena, we know then that your career started off in law in Ukraine, but you're not a lawyer in Ukraine now, are you? You're firmly within real estate in Holland. So Part of this series, I think I get to talking to my guests about seizing opportunities. And often it's opportunities that others just aren't alive to. And I think there's, there is two different routes my guests go down. They will either take opportunities that others will see as being too risky, or there'll be opportunities that are just less apparent, less obvious to others. And people won't necessarily see the, see the, the reasoning behind it. Your decision to leave law and then go and work for PGM, Holland's largest pension fund investor, which one of those do you think it was? Is this too risky a decision or is it a decision then that others just wouldn't have thought about or considered? I think it was maybe more a logical decision because at that point of time, PG, uh, I was already in a, 
in the Netherlands. I did my education, uh, I did my master in, in France and in the Netherlands in Tilburg. And um, I was writing a thesis at that point of time on about uh, how institutional investors are investing in, uh, in alternative sector, especially after financial crisis. So for me, uh, I was interviewing some of the Dutch pension fund investors, reaching out to them to, uh, to get the information for my thesis. And one of them was PGGM. And uh, I had a cup of coffee with the manager there and told him about my thesis. So at a certain point, he approached me or gave me a call back and said, Galina, you know, we are also working on a on a setting up new fund structures for our uh, hedge fund investment, investments and, uh, and alternative investments. And your thesis seems to be very relevant to us. Do you want to come uh, to come over and have uh, have a chat and see if you would be interested to, to, to get a work opportunity with uh, PGGM? So for me, that was an unexpected turn of circumstances because my... Uh, I was not expecting that uh, the thesis would lead me to to get into PGGM, one of the Dutch largest pension fund investors, where you had really a strict strict selection process and a recruitment process and uh, basically that educational uh, educational piece of research helped me to get uh, into PGGM. Well, just, uh, let me just ask a quick question. And for pe- for people who are keeping sort of a track on your, particularly your sort of academic achievements. You mentioned your thesis. Is this is this master's number three or master's number four? Yeah, that's uh, that was my master number number three. And, and master, yeah, and yeah, Nick, I, I I know it sounds like uh, why have you done all those masters? But you have to realize that um, coming from Ukraine with a legal background and uh, wanting to get into finance and also in the international in investments, finance in the international arena. You had to know how the uh, how the international law works and also to get the right skills on uh, on finance. So the education in France, especially master in finance in France, was extremely helpful. First of all, I it was after the period of financial crisis of 2009-2010 when there was a lot of new regulations coming in. A lot the financial sector has been restructuring. So that that was a, really a moment when there was a lot of innovation happening in the market. And for me as well, and as a new new one who is coming from Ukraine, who has nothing to do with with Europe, where the the the, the legal and financial stri- structures work very differently, that was really a good opportunity to learn. And at the same time, as there was some innovation, kind of let's say restructuring happening in the market, I got into this complex subject of how institutional investors invest into real estate and alternative sector. I was really curious to understand why institutional investors such as PGGM, APG, and many others would go away from fund of fund structures, but more into controlled investment structures. So kind of the curiosity in a, in the complexity of financial world enabled me to, uh, to dig further into the subject and ultimately, which turned out to be relevant for, for one of the Dutch employers where I started my career which was really not planned. Well, let's, let's have a quick sort of chance to look back here because I'm always talking about chapters in people's career. Um, people accelerate, then they rest. And what I think is becoming a trend in the, in the guests that I get to talk about are that the people who, who I get to talk about enjoy the acceleration, they, they enjoy the learning. And when it comes to the resting period, when you're consolidating, putting all that learning in, into place, 
they feel quite different. They often feel sort of quite discontent. They feel quite uncomfortable. They, they miss that acceleration. But it takes it takes some real guts, doesn't it, to, to go looking for that again and, and for want, wanting to, to rock the boat when you've suddenly worked so hard in getting yourself in, into that position. And I think that's I think that's really interesting because I think it's with your story, Glenn, I think it's it's even bigger. You know, you're talking about sort of moving not only sort of jobs from one employer to another, we're talking about moving countries, we're talking about moving disciplines, you know, the needs then for the those additional sort of uh, education as well. I, th- I think it's fascinating as to how you get that energy and where that get where you get that energy from and what, what you might be looking for as well. Um, do you have any idea about where that drive comes from? Yeah, I guess as every uh, young person, when they, you start in a career, you, you want to succeed and uh, I guess to, to reach your goal or to become successful. But at the same time, I think that extra challenge, that drive comes from the uncertainty or or being in, a, let's say, in an uncomfortable and in a very different environment. I, I mean, as a foreigner or being in a new country, you have to you have to compete against many other people and especially not having the first education as finance or investments, you really need to put an extra effort. So I guess this kind of, I would say that the circumstances where, where you are in push you to think and work harder. And at the same time, I guess I, I love complexity, Nick. I really get excited and uh, motivated and even more sparked when I, when I see things which are really puzzles or very complex and kind of Thinking, okay, what's my plan? Where do you start? How do you how how do you put all those pieces together? So during my education, it was it was as well during my work at PGM and or in or a gray star or, or further in my career. But it's also the uh, having to put those puzzles and that complexity in a team. So for example, at PGM when I started, I was managing a yeah multidisciplinary team of really very. I was a young girl, and so coming from education, I, I mean, I had a couple of years of, uh, of work experience, but I was then given a task to manage uh, a team at PGGM on uh, making compliant it with uh, this new regulations coming in place and uh, setting the new structures for our hedge fund and alternative sector investments. And I had to manage the team of very experienced people, but at the same time, trying jointly to solve a very complex puzzle on how how you make our platform compliant with new regulations. Uh, so I guess this this complexity, but also working with uh, different backgrounds uh, and different type of perspectives and experiences of people makes me feel kind of comfortable. And not many people would agree with you about your idea of comfortable, but I think we'll come back to it to chat about that a bit more. Well, it's a, it, I would say it's a, it's a it's a team. You you feel that you're part of the team, and you f- and you feel that you work towards uh, uh, joint uh, together t- towards the same outcome or towards the same result. I mean, I I I had to steer the team, I had to organize the team, and it was more not managing the team, but more I would say it's, it's there is a difference between managing the team and man- managing the project. So for me, it was more managing the project and make the team aligned to achieve the same outcome. So um, I knew that I was working with a very professional team. And at the same time, I felt that the team was also respecting uh, me and giving me space to, to allow them to be coordinated or to allow them to be steered and managed. Okay. Well, I've got a question for you. You know, before 
we I mean, particularly sort of coming into the to these sessions, I'd like to do a bit of research. So I spoke to your first manager at Greystar, and he explained you first met when you were at PGGM together. He was leading the real estate function and you were a hedge fund manager, and you asked to make a transfer. Now, I did ask him how often that happened, and he said never. So when he moved to his new employer to Greystar, you were his first hire. You were the first person he thought of. Why do you think he chose you? There could be various reasons, but I guess also Stephen Zayman and uh, and I we had we had a similar background. And I'm not sure. Maybe I never asked this question to him, but maybe unconsciously he felt that Stephen has had also a legal background when he started in his career, and he really became one of the most senior and smart persons at, at PGGM. So maybe that fact, but also the fact that I knew. I was young and I was really driven, uh, really wanted to, um, I was a... I know why he chose you, because I asked him. Now, here's, here's his answer. Uh, so he explained that you had everything to learn in real estate, but that you showed guts at PGGM and again, leaving the safety of that role behind, wanting to come to Greystyle, really demonstrated those, those guts. You were always the hardest working, you had an insatiable drive, and you were always looking out for opportunities to test yourself. And he admired that. Yeah. So let's move on to the Grey Star days then. Tell me a bit, tell me a bit more about what those, what those sort of early days were like. Yeah, indeed, it was very different. You move from institutional investor side to an investment management firm. You, you move from a really from a safe environment, from a large, uh, large institutional investor. But now you go into the on the manager side, so you really have an opportunity to get into the deals and into the transactions. For me, also the reason why I moved maybe from from PGGM to Graystar, first of all, yes, the opportunity was there. I knew Stephen as well, and I knew that Stephen would not make a choice to move into a new venture and a very risky venture if he wouldn't have made a. Let's say made a proper assessment. So I felt that uh, Stephen ha- has made a proper due diligence. At, at the same time, I felt that I knew that uh, I wanted to be more involved in deals uh, at PGGM. I've really learned a lot about manager selection, uh, structuring of uh, investment structures, uh, monitoring portfolios. But I really was exciting. How do you do the deal on the ground? How do you source the deal? How do you underwrite the deal? How do you pitch the deal to institutional investors as a uh, as PGGM or any others. And so uh, that opportunity came uh, through Stephen. And Stephen said, well, Galina, do, uh, uh, would you like to start Greystar? And I told already to Stephen that I wanted to get into the real estate. So, Galina, I'm sure lots and lots of people, no matter sort of where they are in the world, will be familiar with Greystar as, as this sort of Goliath, sort of US multifamily organization. But at this time, and in, and in, in Holland, how established were they? We were still in the infancy, and when when Stephen offered me the opportunity, and we discussed about what the what the business plan is, what the investment strategy is, what the opportunity is, so we really talked a lot about Graystar and the strategy. And then I asked Stephen, "So where where is our office?" And Stephen looked at me and he said, "Well, we have to find the office." 
So we actually didn't have an office. And Stephen, who was living in The Hague, said maybe, maybe it makes sense to establish it in The Hague. And then we found a serviced uh, office space in New Babylon, a train station, which he thought would be also convenient in, if we had clients, and as well as for me, because I had to travel from Amsterdam. That would be a good way to start. And I have to say, we started with two of us. It was It was 2015. We had zero deals, no capital. We had a business plan and no office. In 2018, when when I moved to uh, to Patrizia, we had a team of more than 20 people. We had a portfolio of 3,000 units, and we had a really a, a really big client who has committed capital for the uh, student housing and young professional strategy. So it was really exciting to grow with Stephen uh, to see how uh, how the team was growing alongside how our portfolio was growing, to source those deals, to execute on those deals, to convince as well local partners, because we really had to work very hard with Stephen to convince the, the municipalities and also the uh, developers in the local market that the serviced communities, the student housing in a, in, in a service format, that's, uh, that's an interesting investment or a, a, an interesting product for the Dutch market, because Traditionally, the student housing and the PRS at that point of time in the Netherlands just did, did not exist. So we were really, as well as our office was in the infancy, as well as the uh, rental market and student housing market was as well in the infancy. So it was really exciting uh, kind of pitch your idea, pitch your investment strategy in the, in the local market. Well, it's easy with hindsight, isn't it? But it's clearly that you know that risk paid off, isn't it? Leaving the institutional sort of security of PGM and then and then making that that move to Graystar. You know what are three years that you know that's proven to be. Um, but as you mentioned, then you do you do make the decision then to leave sort of Graystar and then then move to Patrizia. Do you remember as to what the what the catalyst was or what made you make that you know what helped you make that decision to make to eventually leave Graystar? Yeah, it, uh, I have to say it was a very, very difficult uh, decision, Nick. I didn't want to leave Greystar. I felt Greystar for me was really a family. We were so well connected with the team in the Netherlands, also abroad. Uh, I felt very committed to to the team, but also to the to the business. What we what we grew from nothing to really a huge platform in, in the in the Dutch market. We've we went through so many challenges, and and we were still in a growth phase. So really, the business was kind of reaching its maybe stabilization, but there were so much more opportunities and we were looking to expand further in Europe. The opportunity at Patrizia, I had again a cup of coffee and uh, the managing director at uh, at Patrizia, Peter Helfrich, then said, Galina, we are looking to, to expand development business in the Netherlands to source more deals uh, with, uh, with, uh, on the opportunistic side. And we need someone who would want to help us to, to get into this space in the Netherlands. You've done it at Greystar. You seem to speak foreign languages. You have the relevant experience on student housing, on PRS side. And that's what, and Patrizia is really a hu- huge player in Europe uh, with more than 30, 30 years of history, already an established business. So it was kind of going back into a safe environment, but at the same time was having a very, very challenging and entrepreneurial uh, opportunity to grow the uh, development business at Patrizia. So 
throughout my research, and you've spoken about it very, very clearly as well, there is a real engine within Gleaner that is that is motoring at a really, really high rate. And you're clearly then constantly looking for new opportunities then to to learn and really push yourself. And and you seem to be very humble about it by just saying lots of people who are young also want to succeed. But I, I really don't don't think everybody has this same engine. So let me just bring something in that came up from my from my research. Because I think it, they re- this person referenced about your drive, but you have a very unique way of taking people with you rather than just accelerating past them. And this, and this is a direct quote. So Galena has a nice combination of leadership and collaboration, having a very clear vision on what she wants to achieve and skills to activate and motivate others to collaborate closely with her to achieve those objectives. Now, one, that's, you know, that's, that's a very nice and very sort of kind thing to, to say. But I think what, what our listeners will be wanting to do is, is know a bit about how you might do that. Have you got, are you conscious of that? Do you, do, do you have to do something purposefully? Well, to explain your vision and to explain the plan and to ask people as well, to give them a, an opportunity to ask what's in this engagement for me, for each of us personally. And also to allow people to give and share their perspective. So when people feel that they're listened and when, when the team feels that they their skills bring value and when everybody has to bring to the project or to the team a very different kind, uh, set of skills or knowledge, and they understand how they contribute to this common and a joint goal, that makes the people much more aligned towards that vision. And actually that what I've seen, whether it's a, a development project that we are running together or it's a, and a team setup, it's uh, the understanding that uh, everybody plays an equal role and everybody feels connected uh, in, that, in the team. But a challenge as well that you need to sort as a as a manager, whether I'm managing the project or I'm managing the team, are the resources. Is that you want to make to really the team focus on the on the work and on the on that vision, on on the results that they have to achieve, and make and make sure bring them the necessary support in resources uh, to make the team really focus on on their work and not to be worried about how have to sort those resources. At the same time, I think it's very important to be open with the team and when there are challenges and where there are difficult decisions to be taken, that's, that's, that happens uh, daily on, on my development projects because it's, uh, it's very uh, large developments. There is a lot of risks involved, a lot of parties involved, a, a lot of different uh, perspectives, a lot of different considerations, commercial, financial, that needs to be taken. It's the ability to ask the people what decision would you take? And I guess the way how I take my decisions is asking people what would they advise to do and based on that input, putting that all together and then making my the last call. So sometimes that makes people as well feel part of the decision-making process. And I guess that, that that's very helpful in terms of uh, managing the, the, the people, but also helping the, the people as well to get through those periods in the projects when, uh, when they're getting more difficult or, uh, or situations in the business when, uh, when th- those are more difficult, when, when everybody feels being part of a decision-making. 
So, Kalina, we've spent time now, haven't we, sort of building up to up to the present day. Just tell me a bit more about now, what is your role with Patricia? Yes, Nick. So, uh, currently at Patrizia, I'm uh, responsible for a real estate development business uh, in the Netherlands. So, really overlooking our opportunistic and value add strategy in the Netherlands, both on residential and commercial side. Uh, currently, currently we're uh, we have a really very exciting project that we are man- uh, we are doing for one of our large clients. And it's a mixed-use development, and it's probably something that I've never done at Graystar because we were really focusing on, a, on one single strategy or res, a student housing or PRS. Uh, here at Patrizia, uh, having this access to large institutional investors, uh, we are able as well to do mixed-use developments. And what you see is that, that large in, institutional investors really choose locations rather than specific assets. Uh, the inv- institutional investors are really willing to take strategic positions in the key cities where they can realize uh, the upside maybe on a longer term. So currently uh, I have really an exciting scheme that I'm working in the Netherlands. It's located in The Hague. It's uh, about 2,000 units, uh, residential units. It's a large, uh, it's a high-rise tower of 180 meters that we plan to realize 2,000 units, commercial space, and uh, I guess something that's also very, very unique about this mixed-use development is that we are collaborating with uh, with the so- Social Housing Corporation, which is also a very interesting way of working for institutional investors, partnering with Social Housing Corporations and helping them as well to unlock the value, uh, as well as uh, the I guess there is a lot of discussion currently in the market about how institutional investors want to make an impact in the cities. And I guess with this scheme uh, where we are looking to realize 30% social housing, partnering with social housing corporation, bringing really housing for uh, affordable housing, mid-rental housing, uh, uh, as well as uh, offices to the city and redeveloping the area that close to the central station, uh, station, which was before uh, predominated by office buildings in a really in a livable quarter, in a livable neighborhood and connecting that with a green park. I, I guess that's a, a very exciting scheme and a really a one lifetime opportunity to work on. And the ambition, he, the ambition is really to make this a start and really to execute successfully on this project, but uh, as as well as to continue growing Patrizia uh, development business uh, in the Netherlands uh, further and helping Patrizia to re- uh, execute on, uh, on our European um, development uh, mandate uh, further. Well, Glenna, I think sort of anyone listening to this, you know, will, will no doubt sort of appreciate just the... Uh, the speed and sort of the um, uh, what you've been able to sort of uh, achieve in your career so far, but you've done this, and I think this makes it all the more impressive. You've done this simultaneously with a rather impressive career running alongside this within the Urban Land Institute, haven't you? Tell me a bit more about sort of what you've been up to in the last couple of years with them. Yeah, so my uh, I'm really grateful for Urban Land Institute and my engagement uh, in with this organization or actually with this community and I would definitely advise it to any young professional or any professional um, and the reason for that it started 
I became engaged with Yolaiwa as a young leader and start and started to serve in the Netherlands on the executive committee of young leaders uh, at Yolai. The reason for joining Yolai, I guess, is this international uh, perspectives and international network, and really focused not only on networking but on knowledge and on knowledge sharing and education and education all across the board, uh, bringing this in re- really interdisciplinary. Yeah, people from di- from 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 different industries uh, together in one joint community, and where everything was not uh, really focused on education, on knowledge sharing, and how to make the real estate industry better. And as well as there is a lot a lot of uh, discussion, usually or claims that real estate is not inno- sufficiently innovative. And I guess by being part of uh, Urban Land Institute and by sharing this. Uh, innovation or, uh, or, or, or understanding how the real estate market develops and new products or new concepts that are, for example, being developed in U.S., how they can be brought into Europe or vice versa. That, that's very unique, as well as, uh, I guess, the common objective of uh, many parties to how do you solve the climate change. You really cannot solve it in your, by, by yourself as a company or as a business. I guess this more noble uh, purpose uh, uh, is also something that drives the, uh, that makes me excited to be part of uh, of, of of ULI. And I think the third the third uh, the third advantage is that it it helps enormously the knowledge that I get at ULI and the knowledge or the experiences that I can share with ULI. It also helps me in my daily job. And now uh, when we talk about mixed use developments in the Netherlands or in Europe. This is definitely a new type of schemes or new type of developments for, for Europe. And as well as how do you make them livable? How do you make them affordable? How do you make those mixed-use developments smart? And how do you as well change perception of the public? Because you see in Europe, we don't compare it to Asia or US, we have less uh, experience with high rises. How do you break that perception or that ice in the in the communities and in the public and that resistance towards high-rise developments, that those high-rise developments can also be livable, they can also be open to the public. So I guess there's a lot of knowledge and a lot of interesting insights, both from young leaders and senior leaders that you get through ULI. I started with the young leaders and I moved and I was given the opportunity for the last two years. I've been chairing in Europe, the ULI Europe Next Group. That's a group for uh, for leaders who step from uh, being a young leader, really stepping up in their career and moving in 35 and 45 years old uh, period. And uh, th- that was a very exciting period as well of, of being involved in, in, in ULI Europe Next, because I guess it's very important as well to support transition to leadership. And ULI is doing that uh, that very well by giving the opportunity for young leaders to develop further with the organization by being part of this next community. But also this next community is a community that really um, strives or, or, or is aspired by innovation, how to make the real estate better. And uh, the way how we've, we kind of think about ULI next, we want to make real estate better or or the topics the, and the events that we organize, we want we bring leaders from outside the real estate world because we see this convergence of, uh, of sectors and mobility or hospitality 
or uh, art is being converged with real estate. So this kind of innovative way of developing new leaders for tomorrow, and in particular in the last year when the COVID and uh, the, the new type of work, new type of uh, growing the talent, talent that becomes even more, more relevant. Um, well, Glenn, um, I, I'm sorry to say we need to, to draw this all to a close. So thank you very, very much for joining me. I've really enjoyed listening to it. Uh, I think it's, it is it is a very, very impressive career and sort of the distance you've travelled around sort of Europe, the skills, the types of employers you've worked for, I, th- I think is absolutely outstanding. So thank you very much for sharing that all with us. Thank you, Nick. The Urban Land Institute is the oldest and largest network of cross-disciplinary real estate and land use experts in the world, with more than 45,000 global members. The ULI's ethos of personal development makes them an ideal collaborator on our podcast, and we encourage our listeners to learn more and become members by signing up at uli.org forward slash join, quoting the promo code ACRE. Thank you for listening.